Hi, and welcome to this ARC Audio Live podcast. This is your chance to relive some of the events we've hosted, or if you couldn't make it, live them for the first time. In this podcast, you'll hear a wonderfully concise talk from philosopher Todd May, the former philosophical advisor on the sitcom The Good Place, on the tricky but alluring topic of the ontology of Gilles Deleuze in his work Difference and Repetition, and the illuminating Q&A that followed. I screwed up pressing the record button, so it kind of starts in medio res, but uh, all you really missed is some biting political satire from me and Professor May outlining how tricky Deleuze can be to understand. The rest is intact. If you like this podcast, please consider leaving us a rating or review on iTunes and subscribing so other people can find us more easily. Now here's Todd May on the ontology of Gilles Deleuze. it is so distinct from what we're used to in thinking right, about ontology or much of anything else. Right. So, here's where I want to start. For Deleuze, right, I'm going to use two terms to start, difference and identity. And Deleuze points out that in most discourse, difference is parasitical on identity. Identity comes first, difference comes after. Right. So, there has to be identity in order for there to be difference. So, for instance, uh, good. So, I have a microphone, right, and I have a book, right? Now, there is a difference. There are differences between the microphone and the book. But in order to discuss those, the microphone and the book have to be there. That is to say, it, difference is a difference between two identities, right? That's the, that's the idea, that's the received idea. That's the idea that... In most of philosophy, right, we take for granted. Identities first, differences are differences parasitical on identities. Now, let me ask, the term parasitical, is that okay? This could be a nod or a shake or something. Yeah, okay, okay. So, what Deleuze wants to argue is that, in fact, if we think about this correctly, difference is primary and identities are secondary. So the question is, how can difference be primary and identities be secondary? And in order to mark this, he says, we're going to talk about what he calls difference in itself. Right? It's difference in itself that gives rise to identities. Right? And then we will see, again, a complication that will bring us back right, just to the difference in itself. But I want to first start by getting a sense of what he means when he talks about difference in itself that thing that's underneath all identities. Now, to see it, but to get a grip on it, I want to just use a couple of examples. Uh, and this is the idea that we're not going to build step by step, but we have to feel our way into it. So, first example. Right? This is an example from the chemist Ilya Prigogine, winner of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, who actually, in the book where he talks about this experiment, has a footnote. He says, oh, by the way, right, if you want to understand the ontology of what I'm about to tell you, it's the loose. Right. So he, he sees what he, right, the experiment that I'm about to tell you about, as something that Deleuze can explain ontologically. Okay, so here's the experiment. The, uh, you imagine this. Imagine there are two gases. I'm going to put them in a container. You have a container, right? The container has a slat in the middle. The slat in the middle has a hole. Okay? You pour a gas, a red gas on one side. You pour a different gas, blue, on the other side. And you cover the container. You leave them at room temperature. And eventually what happens is you get sort of a purplish thing going on, with some shadings of blue, as chemicals move back and forth through the slat. But under certain conditions, conditions that Prigogine calls far from equilibrium, conditions of intense energy or intense heat, some chemicals will do something very strange. And here's what they'll do. You got your red here, you have your blue here. You pour it in, and it's subject to, to this intense energy. You have the blue, the red, it switches automatically. This becomes red, this becomes blue. It switches back. Right. Instantaneously, right. at regular intervals, right. they'll switch and switch back. Now, let, let's wrap our minds around this for a minute. Right. It's as though the chemicals know what the other chemicals are doing. It's as though they're coordinating not just with themselves, 
but they're coordinating with the other chemicals to get a regular movement back and forth. And Prigogine says, you can study these chemicals all day, and you will not find anything that would yield this movement. This movement must be something about the structure of the field, something that must be going on that is not in the identities of the chemicals themselves that gives rise to this movement uh, under certain conditions. There's more going on. There's a field, not of identities, but some field that under certain conditions allows this to happen. First example. Second example. Infant brain. The infant brain is what Deleuze will call a field of difference. Think of it this way. In the infant brain, there is no, I'll just, I'll just use myself, there's no, in, in, when I was an infant, there was no Todd in the infant brain. Right? There was nothing that was going to come out as I have come out. And there weren't a set of Todds, right? one of which would be chosen. There was my identity was nowhere in my infant brain. What was there right, was a field that, as it developed, would become right, me. And, and think about how that happened. That, you know, biologically or neurochemically, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. Through habituation, right, the, okay, and I, by the way, I'm about to go to the outer edge of my neurological knowledge. Right? So <laughs> what happens is you have neurons and, they, and they, the synapses come together and there's a myelin sheath that goes around them right? that hardens as the myelin sheath hardens. Right? Certain neural pathways become developed and other neural pathways don't. Right? But those neural pathways were not there to begin with. And so, what, so the situation, so the ontological situation of Todd is that there wasn't a Todd there there wasn't a set of Todd's, one of which got chosen. There was something there that could have been many things, but didn't have a particular identity at that moment. An identity emerged out of that field. And that identity then emerged out of a field that he calls a field of difference. No identities to start, right? but identities later. Now, let me stop again and sort of nod our head shake because I'm going to sort of delve into that aspect of it, right? Is that okay so far? Right, examples working, right? You're getting sensitive, okay? Yeah. But again, it's a matter of getting a sense. It's not a matter of building a logical argument. It's a matter of getting a sense of the ontology. What, what I tell people often when, I, when I'm talking about this to, to groups that haven't studied to lose is that the first reaction is always, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And then as you feel your way in, everything begins to look like Deleuze, right? And so I, that what I would hope is that, you know, 45 minutes from now, everything looks like Deleuze, right? So, okay. I want to linger over the infant brain for a minute, right? The infant brain doesn't have an identity, right? But on the other hand, and this is crucial, it doesn't have an identity, but it isn't a blank slate either, right? It can't become just anything. Right. The infant brain that was my infant brain, it was not, when it doesn't matter what happened, it was not going to become a seagull. Right. There was going to be no seagull talk. Right. There, was going to be, there, was, there were possibilities of what I could be, but the seagull is not among them. Right. So, it, so that my infant brain had to be something that was not an identity or a set of identities. But it wasn't a blank slate either. It was something that was neither of those. So what do we call this thing that is neither an identity or set of identities on the one hand, nor a blank slate on which anything can be written on the other? It has a structure. It can become certain things and not others. But it isn't anything at that moment right, before it emerges as an identity. Deleuze says we call it a field of difference. Right? That's, that's the field of difference. And identities always emerge from fields of difference. In this sense, I'm going to say something in a minute, I'm going to qualify. But in this sense, fields of difference are primary right? and identities are secondary. They emerge out of fields of difference. But 
if we're thinking about these fields of difference, it's, uh, if I can put it this way, it's fields of difference all the way up and all the way down, right? So my brain, right, is a field, what my infant brain was a field of difference. That field of difference, right, is embedded in the social field, right, field of difference, right, which is embedded in the larger political world. It goes all the way up and it goes all the way down. Think back to Prigogine's chemicals, right? Those, so it's fields of difference within fields of difference within fields of difference, which means that things can become, I want, I want to say this precisely because it's easy to go wrong, right? Things can become many things. We don't know what things can become, but they can't become just anything, okay? How do we know the kinds of things that we can become? that our society can become, that our, that our groups can become. How do we know them, right? How, what Deleuze says, and by the way, in this brings him, if you study Foucault, very close to Foucault at this moment, is we experiment, right? We have to experiment because we don't know, right? One of Deleuze's favorite quotes is from Spinoza, right? Spinoza says, we don't know what a body can do, right? And Deleuze takes that to mean because our bodies and our lives are fields of difference, we can become many things, but we don't know everything that we can become. Now, I would say that's the first thought, right? I, and I want to build another thought on this, which is going to come back and complicate a little bit the early thought. But again, I, and, and I just I want to keep checking in just because each step is a. Oh, we, oh, I must say, is the idea of a field of difference that emerges into identity, is this okay for folks? Yes? Okay? Good. Okay. All right. So, next step. Right. Deleuze talks about identities right, emerging from difference, but he has another language as well. And that other language is a language that's going to lend some complication to what I said before, but it's not, not going to be killed. Right. So, we can call the field of difference virtual and the identities actual. So there is a virtual field of difference that actualizes itself into specific identities. Virtual field of difference actualizes itself. I never like to start with that vocabulary because, as you know, the term virtual is, is loaded right now. Right? That when we talk about the virtual field, we're not talking about anything like what Deleuze is talking about by the virtual. Right? So the virtual is the field of difference that emerges, right? Actualizes itself, and he contrasts that. Blues contrasts that the virtual and the actual with the possible and the real. Right? The possible and the real is what he's rejecting. That's a distinction he rejects in favor of the virtual and the actual. Right? The way he's thinking about it, now, he's using these terms, right? in specific ways, okay? When he's talking about the possible and the real, he's talking about the idea that the, a possible is an identity that has not yet become real. So, for an example, right, think of a character in a novel, right? A character in the novel is a possible person, but they're not a real person. They have an identity, right? If they stepped off the page, right, they would become realized. They would be real. So, the possible is a set of identities that do not exist and could exist if they became realized. If they became real. The actual and the virtual, he says, that's a whole different structure. There's two differences here. One is the actual is not like the possible in that the actual is real and the possible is not. The, the actual exists. The, my infant brain exists. So the. My bad. Yeah. No, right, right. No, thanks. Good. Right. Okay, so the, right, the virtual. Right. The virtual field right, is, is real. Right. Yeah. That, thanks for the help. Yeah. yeah the virtual field is real. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm, but I'm counting on you. I make a mistake again. Right. 
So the virtual field is real. It exists. The possible does not exist. It could come to exist, but it doesn't exist. First difference. The second difference is that the possible is structured like the real. It has identities. Remember, you have a you got a figure on a page, and it becomes realized as an identity, and that identity becomes realized. You move from a possible identity to real identity. In contrast, the virtual is not structured like the actual. Why? The virtual is a field of difference. And it becomes actualized into identities. There are no identities in the virtual field of difference. There are identities in the actualized field of identities. So, two key differences between the actual and the uh, sorry, the actual and the virtual, the real and the possible. The uh, the virtual is real, unlike the possible, and the virtual has no identities, right? And the possible does. It's a this field of difference, but and, and I want. Keep in mind, this field of difference right, is neither a blank slate right, nor right, a set of identities. Right? That's, I would say, that's the key idea in Deleuze's, right, in Deleuze's ontology that makes it distinct from almost all preceding ontologies, maybe all of them. Uh, and I'll just mention this briefly in passing. There is a British analytic philosopher... Uh, A.W. Moore, who wrote a six or seven hundred page book on the history of 20th century metaphysics. And he, this guy, analytic as the day is long, said there have been two fundamental developments in 20th century metaphysics. Wittgenstein and Deleuze. When you're you're getting ratified by an analytic metaphysician, you're you're doing all right. right? So, right, um, the the how, what, what's, how am I for time? You good? Okay. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got like twenty minutes. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, good. That's fine. Um, so, right. The next move I want to make right, is the move that's going to complicate this idea of the difference emerging in identities. Because the way I put it initially, it sounds like there's this stuff underneath, right? And it comes out in identities, and it's a one-way relationship. But it's not a one-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. The virtual emerges into the actual, and the actual helps restructure the virtual. And then, again, I want to use an example so you see how this works. And again, I'm going to use the, the infant brain. Right. So what happens is... Right. The infant brain right, emerges right, into a particular right, tie. Right. That particular tie right, still carries with it the virtual. Right. That brain that I have become right, is not something that is an identity and the virtual drops away. I can become other things from what I've become. I, I can be, you know, as I grow, I can experiment with the possibilities of who I can be, and experiment in ways where I don't often know where I'm going. And one of the reasons that Deleuze likes right, artists and writers so much, or at least certain sets of them, is because they're experimenting in ways where they don't know where they're going. Right? And you think of some of his favorite authors, uh, like Virginia Woolf. Right? Uh, the, these are writers who experiment, who are going to a place they don't know, right? and they're going to see what can emerge. But all identities carry the fields, their fields of difference within them. So everything always can be other than what it is. And if you ask, what else can it be other than what it is, the proper answer is we don't know. Right? We can only find out by experimenting, because the field of difference doesn't have identities, and it doesn't have a set of possible identities. So, experimentation is how we find out not who we are. Deleuze isn't interested in who we are. Experimentation is how we find out who we can become. And for him, you know, the notion of becoming is is central. All right, so that, so that the field of difference carries through 
with identity, but identities will structure the field of difference. I might, for instance, be able to become a musician, but becoming a musician when I'm 20 or 30 is not the same process as becoming a musician when I'm five or six. Why? Because as my brain develops, right, the field of difference is carried with it, but the field of difference isn't structured in the same way. Right? The actualizations restructure the fields of difference. And because they restructure the fields of difference, the kinds of becomings that can characterize my life are different depending on the actualizations that have occurred. So what you want to think about right, in Deleuze's ontology, and again, I'm using the brain for example, but we can use organizations for example, we can use chemicals for an example, we can use societies for example, but what these things can become right, are structured in part by what they are. So a field, think, think of the dynamic, the field of difference, Right, emerges into an identity, right, or, or the virtual actualizes itself, if you want to use different vocabulary, that actualization then restructures the field of difference and restructures it in such a way right, that the becomings are different right, from the new field of difference, from what they were in the old field of difference. And in a way, you want to say that uh, and I, I know I'm going to use a phrase that, that some people balk at when I talk about Deleuze. I want to say that makes sense, right? Right? And because when when you think about how organizations work, right, there are all kinds of things that organizations right might become. But what organizations can become in a certain moment is not independent of what they are. Right? The kinds of roots that might be open to them to change are going to be, I don't want to say dependent on, but partially structured by, right, the current actualization of that organization. And the trick in thinking about this ontology and, in, and incorporating this ontology is if we think in terms of fields of difference, right, say, coiled within identities, right, or if we think of what's there as... Right. Say, if you use the name, say yin and yang of actual and virtual. If we think of this this way, right, then we are encouraged to experiment. Right. We are pulled away right, from the idea that certain things are possible and certain things are not. Right. And one of the I'm sorry, I'm no, jump in. I'm just confused now because you just said that certain things are not possible. Yes. Right? That the particular yes. actualizations that have happened in yes. concrete phenomena or whatever, Good. and its development, yes. produces certain limits to what, yes. what to the virtual field, which is still a part of it, yes. and then it can then be actualized anew. Yes. So now we know there are certain things no. that cannot wait, 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 there are certain things that cannot become. Yes, but we don't know what they are. Okay, think of this way. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I, 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 I spoke a little, a little bit too strongly there. My, my, whatever my brain is, however it develops, right, it will never be a seagull brain, right? Not, it's just not going to happen. Right? There are, by the way, there are people I know where I do political organizing that would prefer that it happen, right? But it's not going to happen, right? So, right, the, so the idea is, if we think in terms of fields of difference, as they get structured, here's what we know, right? We know there are certain things they cannot become. If they could become anything, they would be blank slates, right? So there's certain things they cannot become, there's certain things they can become, right? And there may be maybe things we know they can't become, right? But, right, many of those, th many of what they can't become, and much of what, and much of what they can become, we don't know, right? We learn only by experiment. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And then, that's why, why I wanted to keep this distinction between Identities and blank slates. That's the that's the space right, that we're that we're really trying to grasp. Okay, and that's what makes right the kinds of work that people that, that Deleuze encourages right experimental. 
right? For, if, if for very different reasons, Foucault says that we experiment because we don't know. That when, one of the differences that right, Deleuze is an ontologist, right, and Foucault shied away from doing ontology, right? Although Foucault was fond of Deleuze until they had a political break, right? Because, as you may know, it's the law in French philosophy that you have to have a political break with people that you like. Right, so Sartre breaks with Camus, and Foucault breaks with Deleuze, and everybody breaks with Derrida. So the, 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 um, so the ontology that Deleuze is putting forward right, is an ontology that resists, and I think this is why this way to philosophy, you more thought that this is so fascinating, it resists what ontologies usually do which is to talk about the essences of things, to try to define and give an account of the essences of things. In some sense, this is a little misleading, but in some sense we can say that what Deleuze does gives an account of why we can't give an account of the essences of things. That's to say, he tells us how things are structured such that the attempt to give final identities to them is always going to be a failure. So now, there's a couple more things I want to get to. Right. Um, uh, let me check in first. Uh, other just clarification questions for the moment. How? Right. Just one thing. Yeah. So anything that's empirical is actual, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. The empirical. Because the empirical is the stuff that we can see. Right. Right. Yeah. And and but just as an aside. Right, Deleuze's rejection of phenomenology was precisely a rejection of the idea that what's important is what you can see and give, give descriptions of. Right? He's trying to give an account of something that he thinks you can't give a description of. Right? Right? And, and in that sense, when I, when I talk about Deleuze's ontology right, and his notion of difference, I said a concept, his concept of difference is something that in some sense we don't render but I've used the image, in English we say, to palpate, right? Is, what would be the Danish equivalent to palpate? Do we, do we have? Palpate. Palpate, is it the same? <laughs> yeah, when you feel something, when you get a feel for something, and by, by, by feeling it, you sort of get a, get a sense of what's underneath, even if you can't know exactly what that is, right? Yeah, that's the idea. So, so the... Good. So the field of difference is something that we conceptually palpate, right? Not concept something that we lay out the definition and formal account of. Now, one of the one of the things that follows from this, uh, and, uh, and well, uh, let me actually let me say this also to start that uh, when Macon asked me, he said, "Do you want to talk about Deleuze's politics?" And I said that that. Everything Deleuze does is based on his idea of difference. Right? This ontology underlies all right? he spent he spent decades working on this. Right? So in thinking about things politically, the question is where might this lead us? Right? And I want to just say a couple of things, with one of which may be more controversial than the other. Right? So the less controversial thing is this. Right? For Deleuze, and it's not this should not be surprising. What's important to the value for Deleuze is creation of the new, right? Is creation of things that haven't been there before. To see what can be done, to see what can emerge, to see right what possibilities—not in the sense, the technical sense, right? But but, but in the, sort of the broad sense, what possibilities there are, right? For our lives, right? For art, right? So if he has a master value, that master value is the creation of the new. And for those who've studied in philosophy, if the philosopher Nietzsche comes to mind here, he should. Right. That's, a, that's a legacy that goes almost directly from Nietzsche into Deleuze, although Nietzsche doesn't have the Deleuzean ontology. So, the creation of the new is a master of value, and a lot, if you look at Deleuze's political critique, right, much of his political critique including his political critique of capitalism, is that it stifles creativity, right? It throws everything back into a certain sameness with it. So it doesn't allow us right, 
to create the new. Right? Uh, Anti-Oedipus, what's the problem with capitalism anti-Oedipus? Everything's Oedipus. Right? It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And what's the schizophrenic? The schizophrenic refuses Oedipus, refuses Oedipus in the name of the creation of the new. Right? So, right, the, the creation of the new is the fundamental driving value for Deleuze. Which also means, and here's the more controversial part, I don't think of Deleuze as a democratic a democratic political thinker. I don't think of him, by the way, as an anti-democratic political thinker. Right? I think he is neither a democratic political thinker nor an anti-democratic political thinker. I, I would call him an a-democratic political thinker. A person for whom democracy is not the relevant issue. The relevant issue is what can be created. He has a phrase in Difference and Repetition where he says... He says, the project of philosophy is, um, how does he put it, that, that somebody somewhere fail to understand what everybody else understands. Because it's the failure to understand what everybody else understands that allows the possibility, right, or better, the opening to create the new. And in that sense, I say, he's, I don't think him as a democratic thinker, I, I, by the way, and I think this is a deep difference with Foucault, but that's for another time. So, he is a political thinker, right, but an a-democratic thinker, and even when he starts working with Guattari, right, you can still see within, right, the, within the discussion the creation of the new. Right? So, a thousand plateaus tends to create new concepts, which will give us new ways of seeing things. Right? New concepts, new ways of seeing. It's about the creation of the new. And, right, in as much as one thinks of Nietzsche as a, we say, a theorist of the elite, right, or a particular kind of elite, right, Deleuze might threaten to go there as well, right? The, the, who are those who are capable of creating? But the difference is Deleuze offers Right. the possibility that all of us might be able to create. Right. Because all of us are fields of difference, right? within fields of difference and within fields of difference. So all of us have the capacity for the new. We carry it with us. Right. It's not something that's foreign. Right. We do, our organizations do, our relationships do. All of it has... Right, it has openings to create the new. And the question for Deleuze is not the question right, of who is smart enough right, to be able to think of the new, but who is courageous enough to experiment right, with the new. The person who is courageous enough not to know what everyone else knows. Now, let me stop a minute. Uh, no. Okay, well, I'm just run back through it again. One quick second. Okay? Difference subtends identity. Right? Identities emerge out of difference. Okay? Those identities emerge out of difference right, are parts of holes, actual virtual holes. Right? Actual virtual holes all the way down, all the way up. Those actual virtual holes mean that the actual structures the virtual, right? uh, just as the virtual gives rise to the actual. All of this means right, that... The, the world in which we live, or probably better, the worlds in which we live, are fields for us to experiment in, fields for us to create in, right? nothing that's given. The, 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 the phrase that he rejects the most, and by the way, he's close to people like Ranciere and Foucault, the phrase that he most rejects would be the phrase that says, all there is, is what there is. That's what he accuses phenomenology of. Phenomenology, he thinks, right, has, makes the mistake of thinking all there is is what there is. There's always more. Right? And that always more is the source of the possibility of creativity. Are we good? We're good. Okay. So, yeah. so where, what's next? Um, I think next is viral as well. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Thanks. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you.
Right, well, uh, now we've all had a, a chance to let, to let things settle. Um, I also, uh, in my introduction, forgot to mention, and I'm required by our funding commitment to mention, that this event is also made possible by Nobo uh, Lokia who uh, generously gave us a little bit of money to put this thing together. Um, and also, our thanks again to the sort of VIRCAN for opening their doors to us. Um, it's a really great space to do this kind of thing, uh, and it's really great that they're open to it. Um, so this is going to be like a discussion section uh, where we're going to just like bounce a little bit around the room, and I'm going to use my privilege as the person holding the microphone to take the first question. I'd like to ask Todd. Um, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I get the overview. I don't think I can summarize it better. I thought I might just summarize something, but I don't know how because it was so well summarized. Um, but my question is. If we are valuing the production of the new, and if that, but if that value is emergent in this same field of actualizations and virtual and the virtual, um, that this kind of the repetition and destruction is happening, how do we know when an actual experimentation has taken place as opposed to just corporate innovation? <laughs> um, okay, let me address that. But let me also say in the in the discussion, right? one way we can proceed, so it isn't necessarily sort of serial right. dialogue, right? is that if somebody's raising an issue and then somebody else wants to address that, right? If if you you know if you raise your hand and just sort of point to the person, right? Then I can I can pass the mic to you, right? And then we we can keep it open that way as well. Right? Okay. So just just on, on this issue, um, I'd like to somebody point. <laughs> okay, right. um, so, uh, the short answer is you can't know until it's already happened, right? It's an, it's an experiment. And in those experiments, sometimes you're going to wind up right, with something that's very much like the thing that you were started with or the thing that you were avoiding. And this is, all, this is always a trap, right? The, um, uh, the, the trap of, of, of bringing uh, of something heading in the direction, and then being co-opted right, and brought back. So in the end, I don't think, I, I, well, let me say two things. One is I don't think you can know ultimately right, until something is produced, until something appears, whether you have something that's new, whether you have something that is really creative. I do think, though, that sometimes you can kind of know in advance if something's not going to be creative, right? that you can... You can see it flowing along like lines that you already recognize. Uh, and um, one example, since with the alternative to creativity was corporate, is uh, at the university that I teach. I teach at Clemson, which is in South Carolina. And at that university, we have, and I don't know if you have it here, we have, we can say, the, the, the new corporate approach du jour. Right? So, there is every once in a while someone comes up from management or from marketing and says, oh, we've now really discovered the proper way to go about managing. And it's one of them, one of them because the title was unforgettable, it was called Total Quality Management. Right? <laughs> I, I, I feel like we should just sit in it, let that sink in. Right? But the idea, as they explain total quality management, there's a guy sitting next to me says, yeah, the, that was the whole quality management, that was the worker participation of 10 years ago, right? So often we can know when something is announced as new that it's not. But I think one of the marks of the, of the, of the new, right, of what's created, is precisely that we can't know that we have it until it actually emerges. Is that all helpful? Yeah. 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 You wanna... where, shall, where shall we go first? It might just might work. I don't understand. Hopefully it doesn't. I would rather just not. It's powerful. It's easy to use. Um, probably not going to formulate this correctly, but uh, it has to do with, I actually feel that 
by naming this, I kind of know that this is not the way Deleuze will probably talk about it. But still, like, I'm curious about what, uh, what defines the threshold, if there's any, between when a field of differences actually actualizes. Is there some sort of crystallization, or what's the passage there? How is it that a field of difference would eventually generate something like an identity? And how can we know that that actually has taken place? And that it's also affecting retroactively? It's also a question about temporality, I guess. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Good. Some, some, that, that, did it make some sort of sense? Oh, no, 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 it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, it was, it, no, it's great. Okay. All right, so, and, and right, I'm going to use the brain example again to see it, right? Yeah. You guys are going to walk out of here like I know how's brain. But the, 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 I said the brain was a virtual field, right, that actualizes itself, right, in certain ways. But in fact, right, that infant brain is also an actuality. There's a brain there, right? It is, it's, right, it, it takes up space, it occupies space, right? So that actual brain, right, has its virtual, right, that emerges, right, into something that carries a differently structured actual, right? And before the, um, and before the infant brain, right, there was other stuff, right? that emerged, other stuff that was virtual slash actual that emerged, right? So the emergence is always emergence of virtual actual from virtual actual, right? So th there's no point at which there is the virtual without an actual, right? I mean, this, and the, the, when, we, I, when I first talked about it, I, said, I talked about identities emerging from difference. I said, but that's the thing they have to complicate, right? Because there's no such, there's, Reality has no virtuals that are without an actual. It's, there's, it's always an actual virtual whole that changes and gives rise to other actual virtual holes. Right? So that's the, and that's the emergence. Right? And if we're going to go back to phenomenology, right, what phenomenology studies right, is the, or the, you could say, the actual aspects of the actual virtual whole. Is that, is that helpful? Yeah, I mean, in, in some sense, the, the, the first hurdle to get over is just getting to the idea of difference, right? And the second hurdle, and, I, and, I, and, and, and one of the reasons I insist on this, I made this mistake when I started. Right? I thought of this as a one-way relation, right? I thought difference gives rise to identity. That's how it works, right? And it took me a while to figure out, no, that's not how it works, right? That it, the, 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 the virtual actual, right, the difference identity are always together. There's no identity without difference, right? No difference without identity, right? So, how, how about, so that's also like why before and after are also quite complex to understand the yeah. and that's why something like, you know, a primitive group wards off something yeah. like capitalism that hasn't really happened, but it's already warding it off somehow. It's yes. Coming to this yes. idea of how there's always this actual and virtual uh, Communications, right? Now. And to see, to see what's going on, and I'm going to come back to Irene. I'm going to start to swing back to a discussion we started to to break. But but the one of the questions that sometimes can, that, that comes up for people is right. How do I apply this right to a specific field that I'm working in? Right? And there's a way in which you do and a way in which you don't, right? right. What Foucault, I mean, what Deleuze is doing is giving us an account, right, of reality, right, of the worlds or worlds in which we live. That's what he's doing, right? Right. If we, now, and here's the worry, if we seek to apply it, right, right, one might be tempted to say, how do I apply this Right to discover in the specific field, right, where the how the virtual and actual works. That's not what general ontologies do. Right, I think what carrying the spirit of this ontology, one one thing that can do is that you might look differently. So one way to put this is a little bit oversimplified, but one way to put it is that we might approach the specific arenas in which we live and ask less about what there is to be discovered and what there is 
and instead ask what there is to be created. What can I create out of what is here, rather than what can I discover? Um, I, I, there's a famous Deleuze uh, quote from what is philosophy. Uh, he says, that, this is an almost, almost direct quote, that philosophy is not interested in and it's not motivated by truth. It's motivated by the remarkable, the interesting, and the important. Right? Not motivated by truth, it's motivated by the remarkable, the interesting, and the important. Right? And I, I gave a paper... Jump. Is it? Yeah. Jump in? Yeah. Go. Uh, wait. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm oversimplifying this too much. Mm -hmm. But I was just thinking this, like, something emerging and all that stuff. Like, if you think about becoming as a verb, is what is different with other verbs is this continuous form. And if you think about thresholds, it's that breaking point. And maybe what Deleuze is trying to sing is, or what it, like, what it is about is this like continuity. Yeah, well, there, there will be continuity. But within the continuity, there will also be things that appear yeah, that have not appeared before, right? Yeah, but it's part, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot isolate it. Right, because no, no. otherwise it's not new. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah no, no, it's, so, yeah, right, I'll, you can't I'll, isolate it. It's, it. It doesn't come, if I, if I say ex nihilo, it doesn't come out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Right? It emerges out of stuff that's already there. But what emerges is something that, if it's creative, is something that has not been seen before. Yeah, but I was just thinking about what Fabian was saying, yeah, like yeah. what was point or like different or whatever, and maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying this. But a way of trying to understand it is just trying to always see the continuum so that the Lewis is not trying to find like breaking. No, that looks not looking for the I, I think he's Oh maybe not. <laughs> right. No, I think I think he's not interested in the break in the sense. Did everybody hear that, by the way? Right. No. So the question was, uh, is Deleuze interested in the thresholds when one thing becomes another? Right. Or is he interested in something else? Right. And and I, I would if that word threshold is that that can have at least two possibilities. Right. So. He's not interested in the threshold of when something becomes something else, just that fact, right? This, the, um, he, he, one of his master philosophers that he studies is Bergson, right, who sees a sort of continuous unfolding of things, right? But on the other hand, he's interested in the threshold of something new emerging, right? But that's not a threshold, we could say, just of temporality. That's a threshold of what it actually is that emerges. See what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Right. But uh, let, let me say something, because I was going to come back to that quote a bit, right? The remarkable, interesting, important, right? Uh, because this is, this is a, uh, I say that a quote that's often used from the right? The philosophy's not interested in the truth, it's interested in the remarkable, the interesting, and the important. And I gave a paper at around uh, uh, a conference where most of the folks were actually traditional analytic philosophers, right? And one of the philosophers said, wait a minute, right? Obviously, there's a truth. Uh, you'll find out there's a truth. There was a wall behind it. If you hit that wall, right, you'll find out there's a truth about that wall, right? uh, which is sort of a typical traditional analytic kind of move. Right? And I don't want to. I, by the way, I don't want to say bad things about philosophers because I'm studying plenty of things. This, this guy. So, <laughs> and so what? I, what I did, and this, I, I tried to okay, what would we do in this situation? Right? And and. So I said, so if I hit the wall, and I just kept hitting the wall, right? If I hit the wall, I'll find out that there's a truth about the wall. Like the truth is that there's a wall there, right? And I keep hitting it, and I find out that there's a truth there. He says, yeah, you'll, you'll see that, right? I said, well, let me ask you, as I'm hitting the wall, I said, as I'm doing this, does anything remarkable, interesting, or important go on? He says, no. I said, then why are we interested in it? <laughs> and that's Deleuze. That's where Deleuze wants to go. Right, to something that's new, that's something that's creative, 
Right. When he says philosophy is not interested in the truth, it's interested in remarkable and interesting important. He's not saying there's no truth. He's saying that, but that's not what we're interested in this truth per se. We're interested in what can be created, the remarkable, the interesting, or the important. And if we're talking about thresholds, right, those are the kinds of thresholds that he's interested in. to have an idea of who they are. I think as a historian, it's next to impossible to understand who other people were at a different time. Um, and so it's, it's a concept that I, 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 I'm challenged with never to figure it out. And the idea of possibility is, is, is part of every historian's writing because you can see different points in time where there was real possibility, but then you can document the actual where something actually changed or whatever came together at a different time to shape history. Um, and so the question I have, though, is, is how do you actually use these ideas in, in, a, um, in, in a way to help understand how something has happened in the past? I mean, how do we take these ideas out of the, the philosophical possibility of everyone has possibility, but no, there's actual society, political economy that determines you know, the shape of these people's outcomes. Um, so, uh, do you have any ideas of how to actually go about using these ideas? Right. Right. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to say something, right? And and it's going to be a, a variation on no. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> what for Deleuze? If we look historically, right? What I mean, if we look back, right? What we see historically is what has been actualized. Right? We see. We, we look back at the actualizations, right? And in looking back at the actualizations, right, there's very little that Deleuze, right, has to tell us, right? There, there is, I suppose, a historical spirit that you can bring to this. And, I th and here I'm thinking about uh, Foucault, right? So right, one of the things that Foucault does when he does his histories is he complicates standard lineal histories, right? He's, you know, he, he complicates what I would call a reductionist history, right? I mean, uh, and, and often sees, this is the genealogy, right? He sees different kinds of uh, aspects of practices contributing, right, to the emergence of something, right? Foucault has a, a quote that I've always loved. He says, people usually know what they're doing, and they usually know why they're doing it. I bet that's the part where he's... Interesting psychoanalysis. Right? They usually know what they know what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. What they don't know is what they're doing it does. Okay, right? People engage in practices. New things are created, right? Without their knowing where they're, they're going to head. That's looking prospective. Right? Now, if you look retrospectively, you will see what happened. But if we think that there's can be always more going on, right? Then I think we'll approach. A tendency might be to approach history more genealogically, right, than say progressively, or something like that. But again, that's a, a spirit of approaching things that have already actualized. Right. I think what Deleuze is more interested in is not what has happened, right, but what can happen. How can we how can we think about where we are that will open up a space, right, for us to experiment in ways that the unexpected can emerge, right? But if we, so, if we think of history, right, as actualization, so this, that's that for no part. This is not going to have much to say, except perhaps, right, to loosen the grip of, let's say, if you, you know, this is all that there could be, right? But I think if we look prospectively, right, then I think the loose, the ontology that Deleuze is offering is one that gives us way, right, of, and I, I to use again this distinction, a way of thinking about our future in terms of creativity rather than simply in terms of discovery, right? right? To ask less the question of who are we really, right, 
and ask more the question of who can we be, right? And that's and that, by the way, is also I think a Nietzschean kind of question. Yeah. of the virtual, right, or the, an actualization of the new virtual, is when they are creating and knowing all this and having all this as background, not knowing exactly where this is all going to go, right? Go, opening up a space, right, where you're not clear where this is going to head, right? And in some sense, that kind of experimentation, and I think this is what you're pointing to, that kind of experimentation might often be more likely to happen if you know right, the situation in which you find yourself. Right? So I don't want to say that Deleuze is saying, look, just, just go do whatever. Right? Um, that's, I think he would say, more, much more likely to wind you back up in the same. Right? But that, that when we know the situation in which we find ourselves, when we understand our tradition, What's the, well, if we're going to create something new, we can't entirely know where we're going, right? Uh, there's a, um, who's the writer? I can't remember the writer who said, uh, oh, Jose de Nosa, uh, who's a, a Latin American writer, right? He said he writes to discover what his characters are going to do, right? If he already knows what his character is going to do, his novel will be born. So he writes to discover where his, what his character is going to do. That often requires a lot, you've got to know a lot of things to do that. But there are things that you can't, the things you have to be sure you don't know in advance, right? Because that's the only way you're going to be able to open that up. Right? Is that fair? I mean, who would disagree with this? How is this, I mean, what, what, I mean, how does this differ from what everybody knows? Okay. Well, first off, one difference, right? It, it, it's a difference from what every previous oncologist thought they knew, right? Right. So, if he's giving, up, let me put it this way, right? Remember, I said at the beginning that that um, when when Deleuze becomes, when we get a sense of it, everything's going to look like Deleuze. You're going to think that people. Some sometimes I, I said people said, well, why did anybody think? ever think anything else, right? But we got we do have like twenty five hundred years of philosophy in which they thought something else. Right? Right. In which, in which they thought things were matters things were matters of discovery, fundamentally it's identities at the bottom, etc. etc. Right? So 
what he, the framework that he's giving us right, is a framework that I'm hoping will feel obvious. Right? I feel like, oh yeah, it's got to be like this. But it hasn't, before Deleuze, it wasn't conceived this way. It was conceived always in terms of a primacy of identities, rather than, let's say, an actual virtual, a set of layered actual virtual fields. So, in in some sense, I want to say this, that that if if you're saying, well, well, of course it's like this. I want to say, great. (laughs) Then then Deleuze is capturing something that seems to to, to, to be able to, to, to get hold of, right, to, to wrap around our reality. But if you look at histories of ontologies, you don't see it like this. Right? The histories of ontologies are histories of identities within identities within identities. I would have time for one more. And it's you. Yeah, in relation to, to this uh, shift in ontology, um, you. Deleuze is saying that there's a primacy of um, difference. A certain primacy. Yeah. A, what? a certain primacy. A certain primacy. But why, why does there need to be a primacy of one or the other in, uh, in terms of identity and primacy? Why, why, is, is it, why is it necessary to even prefer one or the other Good. in an ontology? Good. Good. Um, this, and this actually, this is a, a probably good place to take the last question. This, there is a debate, or has been a debate, among a couple of Deleuze scholars, right, uh, about what the status of Deleuze's ontology is. Okay. And here's the, the debate, right, that there are those who argue that Deleuze's ontology is an attempt to understand what really is. That's to say, it's an attempt to get reality right. right? To give an accurate ontological account. That's one position. There's another position. The other position says, Deleuze doesn't care about whether he gets it right. He's not interested in the truth. He's interested in the remarkable, the interesting, and the important. So the question is not, did he get the ontology right? But rather, if we use and think in terms of this ontology, will it help emancipate us from more, let's say, more stable or staid ways of looking? Put it another way. That one view of Deleuze is what Deleuze seeks to do is capture the character of reality, right? to give an accurate explanation of what we see. Right? The other view is that he's not interested in the actual in the actual explanation of what we see. That his project is fundamentally normative rather than explanatory, and it's normative in the sense that if we start looking this way we will approach our lives and our world differently, and it will open us up in ways that we hadn't before. If we look at it explanatorily, if we just see things in terms of explanation, there is no primacy of difference. If we look at it normatively, the primacy of difference is this idea of there's always more. Let's keep in mind there's always more than what we see. So let's let's see where this can take us. Now, now having said all that, by the way, right, it sounds as though I've laid out two positions which are incompatible with each other. You can believe both, right? He can believe both that he's given an accurate explanation of reality and right that we need to use this accurate explanation, right, to emancipate ourselves from certain ways of looking. So they're not incompatible, right? But in as much as one wants to ascribe a certain primacy to difference, the virtual, it's for the purposes of, we can say, living differently, approaching the world differently from the way we approached it before. Right? If we look at it simply as explanation, I don't see any notion of primacy of difference. The only thing that would be important would be there's, a, there's an aspect of reality that's always been neglected. That would be right? But that's not a primacy. Well, thanks. Good.
If you like this podcast, please consider leaving us a rating or review on iTunes and subscribing so other people can find it more easily.